listening to The Spectrum, part of the Daily Northwestern's opinion section focusing on marginalized voices. I'm Ariel Chase. And I'm Rachel Hampton. This week's column from Zoe Johnson discusses the need for queer women representation in the media. Juno Diaz has a great quote about representation. There's this idea that monsters don't have reflections in a mirror. And what I've always thought isn't that monsters don't have reflections in a mirror. It's that if you want to make a human being into a monster, deny them at the cultural level any reflection of themselves. Representation, the idea that if people exist in real life, they should also exist in fiction, newspapers, and school curriculums, is praised for having a dramatic effect on people's ideology. But more importantly, it helps little baby queers like my 10-year-old self understand that we aren't monsters, we deserve love and happiness, and we deserve to live. Thanks for that. That was beautiful. So a significant portion of your piece centers on the movie Bend It Like Beckham, which I recently saw this summer. What would it have meant to you if the movie ended up as originally scripted with the two main characters actually getting together? I think it would have been really lovely. I think it would have been a really lovely, happy movie because it's this just it's such a nice movie in all other ways up until the part where the the guy comes in. Because they're just being best pals and playing soccer and, like, chasing their dreams. And there's all these things throughout the movie where they they basically make a lot of gay jokes because Jules has short hair and they're like, you're like a lesbian. And he's (laughs) like, no, I'm not. God. It would have been awesome if it could have been, like, actually, we are gay and that's fine because our friendship is beautiful and our relationship is beautiful and we win soccer games. When I was watching that movie, however young I was, I remember, like, obviously I wasn't woke as a child because I was a child. But so I remember, like, when I was watching it, like, I didn't know any lesbians, but I was definitely sensed. I think everyone who watched it sensed something that you were either like, um, (laughs) like, is this, are they in love? And then, like, the guy really was super random. And I bet the guy was very much so a relief to a lot of people. Maybe even to my little child self that was like I don't know what that stuff means and then they had like a white man I was like oh okay I get this now so I think it would have been actually a better thing if they had just had a healthy relationship between two best friend women who played soccer so my next question for you is kind of going off of movies also so how do you feel about films like Pitch Perfect for example how do you feel about movies like that that have like problematic lesbian roles Seems like Tracy Dean something like that and she was like the lesbian in that movie and they made like like little random jokes and they made it seem as if like lesbian women can't have straight women friends without always making them uncomfortable and like looking at them a certain way, whatever. And it kind of reminds me of the question of like black representation films where it's like you have the sassy friend and you're kind of happy a little bit just to even have the role <laughs> to have some color in there, but it still is problematic because it has these different tropes and all that kind of stuff. So how do you feel about those types of movies? And do you think that these count as representation in a way or that they're more detrimental than helpful? I think you kind of summed it up perfectly. <laughs> I mean, I, I only saw the first Pitch Perfect movie, but it, I was so uncomfortable the <laughs> entire time, yeah. Um, because she just, like, every single thing she did was in the vein of, you know, like, like, she actually, like, gropes people (laughs) at different Mm -hmm. points, or, like, there's a thing of, I think, I can't remember any of their names, but, like, at one point, one of them, like, (laughs) falls down and is, like, having trouble breathing, and the, the girl who's, like, the lesbian is, like, oh, like, I'll do CPR, and the other girl's, like, no, no, like, don't come near me, and Mm -hmm. it's, like, 
oh god uh stop yeah it it made me so uncomfortable because i was like is this how other people see me mm-hmm. do uh, like are people not going to be comfortable being in a room with me and like generally speaking i only really have female friends and if straight girls aren't comfortable around me then that's a problem especially in like middle and high school where now i can like pretty much only have queer friends if I want because there's a lot of us going around but especially in middle school that was really hard especially because we had like gym class and so I would be like very actively like (laughs) focused on my locker because I'd be like I can't let anyone think that I'm looking at them Mm -hmm. because what if it's weird so I I hated that movie so much Mm -hmm. because it's like I really don't need you making you look like this right so, after Ellen Seems Like a Space that also centers younger queer women, like those who aren't in college or living alone, do you think there's a lack of youth-centered lesbian spaces like that, online and off? Most definitely. And I don't know how... I mean, the part of the problem is that um, it's really hard to create those spaces because you're not exactly going to sit around with, like, 10-year-olds being like, let's talk about sexuality, because... 10-year-olds don't exactly have, I don't know, they don't exactly have developed sexualities in terms of, like, they haven't gone through puberty yet. So that's going to be a hard thing for them to discuss. But, like, the way in which you have those spaces is that they have to be part of, like, a really broad cultural narrative where, like, people just exist. And they exist in the media and they exist in your life. I have a bunch of family in um, the Netherlands. And one thing that I've learned about their school system, they start talking about sex when the kids are super little. But the problem is that, like, if you say that, people are like, oh, God, like, why are you talking about sex with four-year-olds? But the thing is, you're not talking about sex. You're talking about, like, consent and, like, healthy relationships, but in a very basic way of, like, sometimes when you like someone, you want to give them a hug. But, like, you can't just grab them. You have to ask permission. And it's, like, teaching them at a very, very young age that how to do those things. And then later that develops as they get into anatomy and they get into whatever and like protection, but like they have that foundation in a way that, for example, our sex ed does not. And I think it's a similar way of, it has to start super young in terms of like, I love picture books that are like, my mommies and me, like those are so (laughs) cute and they kill me. And they're so nice because it's like, kids will actually really accept whatever rules of society you set down for them because kids live by rules. That's how their worlds work. And so if you say these things exist and they are a part of the structure of our society, they'll be like, cool. Kids don't have a problem with it. It's just when they get older and things start not fitting into their conception of the world that they have a problem. Because I feel like even if like we try to implement something like what the Netherlands has, I think that's great. Parents might be like, um, no, my girl is a girl. She has her ears pierced. Can't you see? <laughs> I want her to do X, Y, Z thing. And I only want her to be learning about sex with men and not until she's married. Okay? Exactly. Oh, man. What do you think about also the high school spaces, like high school and middle school? So when you've, like, hit puberty, but, like, you're still sorting things out. I think it's good to have spaces, definitely. Like, I don't know, because the main thing is, like, the GSA, right? The Gay Straight Alliance. And those are cool. I mean, I support them, but they're also, I think the, the, the thing of, like, spaces have, having to be something that you, like, publicly seek out is kind of an issue, because it's, like, it's hard to say exactly why that, like, makes me uncomfortable, mostly because it, like, it implies that you have to, like, set yourself off, and I was kind of lucky because I had an older sibling who was, like, 
already really involved in GSA, so if I wanted to, I could go and sit in the back and just be like, yeah, like, my sibling makes me come because they're really into this, and, like, didn't, like, didn't have to kind of implicitly out myself by being there and looking for those spaces. I guess my ideal with high school would be that it's something that's, like, a current that you can grab onto within a broader context that, right, that you don't have to, like, set yourself off. And I think the easiest way to do that is through media stories, which I'm already said a couple of times but it's like if you can literally just like go to the library and you can pretend you're just flipping through books and you just like stumble upon it you're like wow look at that like that's so much easier than having to be like okay I have to go to this place at this time in order to be in a space that's comfortable for me. Some more so you mentioned in your piece about how gay communities seem to be thriving especially like in popular culture today I don't know if you've been to Boys Town but it's popping it's live it's literally it's it's bumping so why do you think that there's a lack of lesbian spaces and I I remember that the conversation that we had about you traveling abroad and stuff and what you found. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Well, I think it's a lot of things. So the deal with me traveling abroad is I took a gap year and traveled a lot to a lot of different places. And uh, I was really excited because I was going to be legal to drink wherever I went because I would be 18. So I was really excited about that because I was like, I'm going to go to some bars, but like more importantly, I'm going to go to lesbian bars and it's going to be awesome because I've never been in a space like that sort of as an adult. And I was really pumped about that. And I started doing my research. And what I found is that lesbian bars are ceasing to exist. There's not very many of them. Frequently, they have a much, much lower key vibe in the sense of it might be like a cafe that like possibly has lesbian owners that's possibly known as like a local place where like it's safe to hold hands as opposed to any type of like meeting up place necessarily versus the options for gay men. And the funny part is that I was going to some places that are known as kind of gay meccas. Buenos Aires is super liberal, Amsterdam and Berlin and places like that. And there was like all kinds of like gay bars and gay sex clubs and like so many types of things. And then for the lesbians, there'd be like some bars would have like a night that was for women or there'd be like one or two lesbian bars. And it was just like really sad because um, I was like all, all excited to, to go be an adult person and to write because as we, you know we were saying there's not very many spaces for youth for high schoolers but I was like really pumped for this idea of like once you're an adult you can kind of do what you want and that includes being able to find spaces with people like you and then it was like no just kidding <laughs> and I think that right so I think the issue of lesbian spaces disappearing is a product of a couple of things sort of chiefly sexism and the general sense of like men have more money they have more power in the sense of you trust men more to open businesses so more likely to sell property to them and also there's a perception of men go out more and party more and so there's sort of there's sort of a sense of like well there is there's not really space for like a lesbian club because like lesbians stay home with their cats so would anyone go to it? Yeah, there's also a lot of lesbian bookstores, which, like, I appreciated, but I was also like, guys, this is 
not lit. What do you, okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think it, yeah, I think it largely is sexism. I've also seen things about like, it's easy to market stuff to gay men for the same reason that it's easy to market stuff to women, which is that like shirtless guys will just like make, make it happen. It's, you know, and, and that's a super easy thing to do. I don't think anyone necessarily knows why all the bars are closing, though, but it is definitely a trend, in- including, you know, in the United States. I was also really excited. Um, it, I grew up in D.C., and there was a place called Place One that was the oldest continuously operating lesbian bar in the U.S., and it closed a year or two ago, and that was, like, really sad because I'd been excited about that, and I, I had, like, an entire chart that was, like bars I'm gonna go to when I grow up and it's like just going down it crossing them off like that's not possible anymore wow that is unfortunate I wonder if it has something to do with like I don't know is is are gay men like hot right now and lesbian women are not like is that like it's like it's it's what's hot it's what's sexy right now I don't know I mean well if we want to go for a historical perspective (laughs) a lot of it does have to do with the fact that historically men have made more money and have been able to have access to these spaces and then before that men were able to leave home like, mm-hmm. women weren't just because of the society that we lived in. So a lot of, like, the bastions of gay culture, like San Francisco, like Boys Town, it's literally called Boys Town, was because men who came back from World War One were able to leave and come back and, like, leave their families, and women didn't have access to that for a long time. So in your piece, you mentioned that queer women are killed off on television a lot. What are some examples of this? Well, there have been... So there's been some studies about the rate at which queer women are killed on TV. Queer women actually make up 10% of all deaths on TV, which is kind of wild, because I don't think that's, I really doubt that's the actual percentage of queer women on TV. Basically, there's just this trope where death is like the normal way for a lesbian storyline to end. And that actually goes back really far with censorship in the U.S. starting in the 30s. I learned this in my history class today. (laughs) Yeah, starting in the 30s, the censorship guideline was you can only show, like, you know, criminal or immoral behavior if it's going to be punished. So that was the trend that the only books and movies and whatever you could publish with, especially lesbian characters, would be if they got shot or committed suicide or did whatever at the end. And I think that's like really, really strongly carried over in a way that we're not aware of. The latest, the sort of big one that I remember happening was there's a show called The 100 where they'd been building up for like seasons, these two women's relationship, and they like finally got together and then one of them got shot. And everyone just lost their minds people were so so angry and it turned into kind of a massive outcry they actually started a petition i think that was like for tv producers and writers being like can you please promise us that this won't be like a stupid trope if it's an actual necessary thing but like no arbitrary deaths i don't care how powerful you think it's going to be please just give us some some happy endings and it yeah it was like a really big thing there's kind of a sense that like writers think it's going to be like wow like such a emotional impact like such a good part of a show I also like I don't want to give any like I don't know I feel like people have probably seen this in Orange is the New Black spoiler alert guys there is a really important character who 
was killed off in a way that was I think I think the writers were trying to be you know like hip to the current social situation but instead it very much came off as kicking us while we're down and that was also something where it was like we cannot trust you with representation of queer women Thanks, Zoe, and thanks for listening. If you're interested in contributing to the spectrum, check out our page on the Daily's website.